0: Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions and training from top building performance, rating and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's our goal here to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. How do you define sustainable home building? What will sustainable home building look like in 2022? Where can you get a handle on data to help drive your decisions in this area? And what are the bold steps you can take? Well, ResTalk is pleased to welcome back Sarah Gutterman co-founder and CEO of Green Builder Media, to give us insights about the state of sustainable building for 2022. Sarah highlights, however, nearly the last two years, the pandemic has acted like a surprise jolt upon the building industry, and she reflects on how this has changed the landscape. She helps us to understand that in order to create a meaningful impact on climate change, we need to set our sights on full-scale decarbonization of our economy reaching net-zero emissions across all sectors as boldly and quickly as possible. She also highlights this perfect storm of limited housing inventory, high material costs, labor shortages, which have pushed component building companies into very high demand. And she also notes analysts who expect the storm to continue in 2022. At first, the economic experts are forecasting early in the year growth in single-family home construction and sales and pricing at a pace that's about 40 to 50 percent of the levels seen in 2021 now you should look towards green builder media's cognition smart data there's a link in the show notes for more in-depth detail on how these forecasts arrive at sarah's also published a blog post on this topic that can be found again link in the show notes and then finally while well, the sustainability symposium in 2022 which was also subtitled The Roadmap to Decarbonization, has already happened, you can still learn more at the Comprehensive Housing 2.0 Program. Again, link in the show notes. So you got a lot of resources there, but it's really good to listen to the dialogue that Sarah has about all these details and data from her perspective on the state of sustainable building 2022. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Will. How are you? Great. Give the listeners a little background because it's been a while. Tell them a little bit about your background and what you're doing now.
2: Sure. Thank you. I am the co-founder and CEO of Green Builder Media. We are North America's leading media company focused on green building and sustainable living. Prior to founding Green Builder Media, which seems like a lifetime ago, (laughs) I was in venture capital. And I had the good fortune to be able to participate in the transformation of the organic foods and natural products sector that was in the 90s and early 2000s. And so when I met my co-founder of Green Builder Media, Ron Jones, in 2004, we decided to take his already decades of experience in green building and the experience I had in market transformation to form Green Builder Media to do everything that we could to transform the building industry, specifically the housing sector. And our mission and our mantra is to help enhance the sustainability of the built environment. We do that through media, events, cognition, smart data, demonstration projects.
1: Oh, I remember the smart data from last time. I always thought that was pretty intriguing. We may get back into that a little bit, but we'll be talking today about the state of sustainable building in 2022. And I think first off, if you could define what you mean by sustainable building.
2: It's a pretty broad concept, Bill, and it's hard to define. But in general, given where we are today, when I think about a sustainable building, it is one that is net zero, all electric. All electric healthy, intelligent, resilient, renewable energy powered. Fortunately, we're now able to attain all of these things that I mentioned because of the price parity for technologies like solar. We're still getting there with battery storage. That industry has a little bit more maturity left until we hit price parity. But even things like heat pumps for air and water heating. Induction cooktops, all of these things are allowing us now to achieve green homes and buildings at a reasonable price point, especially if we're looking at long term cost of home ownership and building ownership as opposed to just lowest upfront cost, which is no longer an accurate valuation metric.
1: I got it. And it's interesting, you provided a lot of granularity there in terms of the elements. And it's really sort of a spectrum that perhaps layers on itself. There's certain things that need to come together to be net zero, probably need to be all electric. That is like a requirement?
2: Yes, I think (laughs) in theory, yes. But when we think about net zero, you bring up a good question because a lot of people just automatically default to net zero energy. And net zero energy is really a measurement of the operations of a home or a building. But when I think about net zero, I really think about net zero energy, water, carbon and waste. And we really have a long way to go in order to get there. There's some pretty startling statistics like the UN IPCC's recent report basically indicated that we have to get to net zero carbon in the built environment by 2050. If we have any chance whatsoever at staying under a 1.5 degree temperature rise. And fortunately, the transition to net zero energy, water and carbon is underway irrespective of. Kind of political jurisdiction or climate zone. But the problem is that, as I said, we really have a long way to go because I think not even 1% of our homes and buildings across the globe have achieved net, net zero carbon yet. So there's a lot of opportunity, we'll say. It's pretty daunting when you think of the numbers, but I also really believe that right now, we are in the midst of just a major transformation where all of our existing economic and even socio-political systems are going to be overhauled. We're seeing that a little bit right now with the Ukraine situation and the reaction to Russia in terms of energy. I'm hoping that this facilitates the transition to renewable energy, but at the end of the day, there's a sh- tremendous opportunity for anyone with just a little bit of imagination and ambition to take advantage of this massive transition to a decarbonized economy that we're undergoing right now.
1: Are there any other signals? You mentioned a couple there. Are there any other signals that come to mind for the being in the midst of transformation? Because sometimes it's hard to see. You look around you and things all look the same, but maybe the frame of reference is moving. Any other signals you see?
2: I think that the signals are everywhere. I think it's partly the fact that people in general are waking up to the realities of climate change. That's really being driven by the millennial and Gen Z generation's they're not having it. And they're actually really worried. When we survey those audience segments, 75, 80, 90% of them tell us that it's not just that they're aware of climate change, but they're really worried about their future. And they're feeling motivated to act. We're seeing Gen Zs marching every day for some kind of a cause. And we're just seeing them in particular, and millennials as well, really acting, taking action with response to climate and environmental and even social related elements. And then that's pushing through this movement within corporate America and really corporations across the globe. Certainly Europe is 10 years ahead of us in terms of environmental, social, and governance strategies, ESG strategies.
1: I was going to ask about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So corporate sustainability and ESG has now essentially become a moral imperative for companies. And the ones that don't already have an ESG strategy in place are behind the curve. Then, of course, we do see governments acting. Certainly, I would say European countries are, again, well ahead of the US and other places. We're seeing bold commitments from China and India. We'll see how implementable those bold commitments are in those. Countries, given that they're huge battleships that are hard to turn. But certainly, this is an all hands on deck effort. And I think that the signals are everywhere throughout the economy. And I don't think that any sector is going to be immune. Buildings, transportation, industry, agriculture, all of these sectors are pivoting. And soon they'll all be clean and green, connected, electric, resilient, water and energy conserving. And the nice thing is that everybody wins when that happens, right? We all get to enjoy an economy and a system that is life-affirming as opposed to extractive and that then produces clean air and fresh water and fertile soil and the things that we need in order to remain here on Earth as a species.
1: Right. I noted in some research that you did a sustainability symposium. You hosted one in 2021.
2: Thank you for bringing that up. We are hosting our sixth annual sustainability symposium on April 20th and 21st. The theme is roadmap to decarbonization. So we're going to be talking about the transition to a decarbonization economy And all of the opportunities that holds and the challenges, and we'll have a panel on ESG, a panel on decarbonization solutions in the built environment. Paul Hawken, the
1: esteemed
2: sustainability luminary is our headliner on April 20th, and it's free. Yeah, it's free because it's virtual. Yeah, when we have it in person, we usually charge because of the logistics, but when it's virtual, we get to host it free. So for anyone that wants to register, you can go to greenbuildermedia.com, look at our nav bar. There's a tab. The first tab on the nav bar is the 2022 Sustainability Symposium. Click on there and sign up and join us. It's going to be great.
1: I'll make sure that goes into the show notes too. Thank you. Yeah. Do you feel there's been rapid evolution? Like if you could think about maybe the markers are the last year's symposium and this year's symposium, how have the topics changed? The
2: transition to a decarbonization economy has just continued to become more real, more cost-effective, more urgent, and more accessible. So every year when we hold this symposium, again, this is our sixth year We went from ready for anything, which was our first year's theme, which really focused on resiliency to champions of change, where we focused on people really doing great stuff. But now this message is really an all-in, all-hands-on-deck, things that everybody can do in their personal and professional lives to help usher in this transition to a decarbonized economy. So I think it's more maybe inclusive in terms of be talking about real solutions for building professionals, for homeowners, for businesses. We'll be talking about case studies. We'll be talking about Paul Hawken. will be talking about his concept of regeneration, which is basically helping to facilitate this transition in just one generation, which in geological time is a split second. <laughs> so every year it just gets more real.
1: When it comes to the, we talked about CO2 awareness net zero, but then there's also been this huge societal thing called a pandemic. <laughs> How has that overlaid on any of this sustainability issues or topics?
2: I refer to the 2008 recession as the best thing that happened to energy efficiency because people became really cognizant of their energy bills. I think in the same way, the pandemic has really helped bring the concept of healthy homes and indoor air quality to the forefront of our national dialogue. So as people have spent more time in their homes, as we've been told that our homes are the safest place for us to be, we're seeing them now more as a sanctuary. So I think that that's, one, helped people understand how they can actually live better in their homes, have a higher quality of life in their homes. And whether that's through things like we've seen a surge in interest in outdoor living spaces or seamless transitions between indoor and outdoor living spaces, certainly a lot of things that people are doing to improve their indoor air quality and the health and general wellness of their homes. But the pandemic has forced people to prioritize. And I think we're going to continue to see that prioritization throughout 2022. And over the next couple of years, I think remote working is a great example of that. People understand that they can have a higher quality of life by working from home and not dealing with a commute and traffic and Staying within the comforts of their own home. And there's certainly the argument that if people are working from home and not in centralized offices, that increases overall energy use. I'm not totally convinced that that's the case because... I think that nets out, (laughs) and especially as more people now are actually installing solar and even solar plus storage.
1: And making their homes more comfortable, too.
2: Exactly. And efficient.
1: Right. Inefficiency comes with that.
2: Exactly. So all in all, the pandemic has certainly been devastating and heartbreaking. And do I wish it happened? No. But if we want to search for the silver lining, I do think that it has help people understand again that healthy home, in fact, when we survey our millennial audience who have now seized the top influencer position in the housing sector, spending more money on buying and remodeling homes than any other age group, they tell us that having a healthy home is now important as a location when making home buying decisions. And that's never happened before, right? We've been surveying our consumer audience for 17 years. And over the course of the past two years, that Response has bubbled to the surface, and that's different, and that's interesting. And that's been the case for about a year and a half, two years now. It wasn't just one outlier survey, it's a constant response that we're getting. I think people are exercising more. I think, in general, a lot of people are making healthier lifestyle decisions. And so, I do think that there has been a beneficial outcome of the pandemic.
1: I have a concept that I rattle around in my mind sometimes about air is a consumable and should be viewed in as much as we have viewed food as something that goes inside our body so that what do you think about that in terms of coming from the organic food sector which you mentioned earlier in the conversation
2: if you think about the amount of air and water we consume generally in volume, it's much higher than the amount of food that we consume. And you're absolutely right. We should be treating it as something that we can measure with respect to our own health and well-being. We've actually seen an increase, a really dramatic increase in interest in and then purchase of integrated IAQ systems for homes where there's a monitor or a sensor on the front end that monitors VOCs and CO2s and dust and humidity and temperature and other toxins in the home. And then we're starting to see more awareness and uptick for, again, the integrated systems where the sensors then can turn on a vent fan or a range hood or hook into an ERV or HVAC system and proactively create fresh air exchange or air purification.
1: And going back to something you mentioned earlier when you went down the list of net zero electric, healthy, resilient, renewable power, I think you said also smart homes. Was that one of them? Yeah. And so this really refers to that aspect. There's a smart use of energy, but there's the smart provision of healthy air and water, perhaps.
2: Yeah. Within the smart home space, I think for a long time, the leading use cases with respect to smart home technologies were cameras, audio, video, the ability to remote check-in on your home. Cat
1: 5X outlets everywhere, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, outlets or the ability to check-in on pets or kids or whatever. But over the course of the past two years, we've seen three use cases really surge. The first is demand-side energy management technology where homes can basically integrate with utilities to monitor energy use, do peak load shifting, and do things like integrate with, say, dryers, clothes dryers or appliances so that they can run those appliances when energy is the cheapest.
1: The whole time of use topic, yes.
2: Exactly. That's an emerging use case. But certainly, we have also seen an increase in those proactive IAQ systems, as I mentioned. And then the third technology, smart technology, that we've seen a big interest in is leak detection and water monitoring systems that can learn the footprint of different water using devices in the home, whether those are faucets or toilets and can measure and monitor when those devices are using more water than they should. (laughs) And then it leaps to the assumption that there's a leak and it either shuts off the water to that device or shuts off the water in general to the home or just alerts the homeowner. So there's a lot of interesting technology out there now. I like FIN as one example, because we're finally able now to measure our water use in a way that we've now been able to measure our energy use. And I think when people can measure and see usage patterns, they can make changes accordingly to conserve more.
1: There's a quote from Peter Drucker, which that which measures get addressed, something like that. I just slaughtered the quote, but... <laughs>
2: I know what you're talking about, though.
1: (laughs) When it comes to what's happened in 2021, looking at 2022, there's been limited inventory housing, higher material costs. How does that layer on top of things? Does that slow sustainable home building down, or does that maybe intensify the focus in certain areas?
2: What we're seeing is actually the opposite, that it's not slowing sustainable housing down. In fact, the trifecta of Labor challenges, material shortages, and soaring prices for labor and materials are pushing a lot of builders and developers towards things like panelization. What used to be considered alternative building envelope systems like structural insulated panels, SIPs, or insulated concrete forms, ICFs, or to full-scale prefab solutions. So we're starting to see more and more adoption of those types of systems, which is great because generally speaking, those types of systems, panelized systems, the alternative building envelope systems, and prefab, Especially today's prefab homes and structures tend to be more energy efficient. They solve job site waste and they solve also quality control because you have this inherent quality control when things are built in a factory as opposed to built on site we're really on the precipice of substantial change with respect to the way we used, how we've built homes in particular, stick-framed homes forever, I think we're going to start seeing lots of changes in that. And again, partly because of the soaring lumber prices in and of themselves, but also because of, again, labor issues, which it's affecting, again, our cognition data shows that 80 to 85% of builders tell us that they are struggling with labor shortages. And it's not something that's necessarily going to go away. So if we can start finding ways to solve for that, then through things like prefab construction, I think that will end up benefiting not just the businesses (laughs) of those builders, but also will enhance the sustainability of our homes and buildings.
1: I talk about a little bit on this podcast and the other one I do, Building HVAC Science, about my volumetric modular home. I learned that term recently. And then I can testify to the energy efficiency, quality control, job site, the waste aspects, the labor issues, and also the monitoring that I'm doing to prove this out. I'm totally on board with what you say, but for more of our listeners to learn about this, how can they connect with Green Builder Media? What's the best way? Because this is such rich information. We can't cover it all here.
2: Thank you. So the best way to connect with us is to go to greenbuildermedia.com and on the top nav bar of our website, there's a tab that says subscribe. And we have our Green Builder magazine produced that six times a year. We just won best trade publication for the ninth year in a row. So it is chock full of amazing information. But then I also really, really suggest signing up for our Vantage e-newsletter. It's a free weekly e-newsletter. It comes out every Thursday. It's kind of our weekly digest or best of and it's just got awesome stories every week, really topical and timely. And if nothing else, I would recommend subscribing to our Vantage Newsletter.
1: I'll put those links in the notes also. Thank you. You're welcome. The primary audience are raiders and builders for this podcast. And taking those two groups separately, what would you say are the essential things that a builder needs to do after they're listening to this? What is the next thing they should do?
2: First, they should sign up for our Vantage
1: Newsletter. Perfect.
2: (laughs) But I really believe that builders who are not already exploring net zero, all electric, healthy, intelligent, resilient, solar-powered homes (laughs) are already behind the curve. That train has left the station. And so... Actually, what I would really recommend for builders and raiders, if they want to elevate their awareness about this topic, is to explore our Housing 2.0 program. We've joined forces with Sam Rashkin, who a lot of raiders and builders know. He was the chief architect at the Department of Energy for about 30 years and really considered to be the father of Energy Star and the Net Zero Energy Housing Program that the DOE has launched. And so he's now working with us on this Housing 2.0 program. We have virtual and in-person workshops. We've got action groups. We've co-published a book with Sam, and if people go onto our website at greenbuildermedia.com under the Housing 2.0 tab, they can learn more about the program and register. We do have scholarship opportunities available, and there's information on there about getting the discounted scholarship rate. In my opinion, there's really no other training and education program out there like Housing 2.0. For those people who do know Sam, that he's visionary, but he brings that vision into very practical language and concepts. And he's got some amazing information and wonderful case studies of builders and raters, but particularly builders who are now building more sustainable homes at a fraction of the cost. Literally, they've extracted 30 to 70% cost savings from their projects. And I would say that that's a really worthwhile program and uh, would recommend that every builder and raider goes through it.
1: I think the message is I'm getting this is all possible. Exactly. It seems that there's a market out there for this. So, builders and raiders, they're in a commercial aspect of our field, of the housing field. They need to have customers in order to do their mission, to do their work. How much of a market? change have you seen and what's the market outlook like? And then perhaps a little bit about regionality.
2: Yes. It's interesting because again, when we survey our millennial and Gen Z audience who are the main influencers now in the housing sector over the last couple of years, they've seized that top influencer position. Their baseline expectation is sustainability, right? They don't think it's a nice to have. (laughs) It's really a must have. And when they don't have access to sustainable homes, either because they are making budget driven decisions and they have to buy an existing home, or they just aren't in a geographic area that has good sustainable options, they get frustrated and they get disheartened with the home buying or home ownership process. And so I would say that unequivocally, there is a market out there and that market is growing in terms of consumer expectations and baseline expectations that are placing new demands on builders, raiders, developers, even manufacturers. As I said, that's a growing market. It's not shrinking. The other part of that is when we look at the regulatory environment, codes and regulations are only going to continue to ratchet up with respect to energy electrification. Certainly we're seeing, I think there's over 50 municipalities now in California that are either mandating or at least providing incentives for electrification in the built environment. Certainly we know about their solar mandate as well. And I think that's just a harbinger of what's going to come in states across the country. So I would say if you're not already thinking about this again, what are you waiting for?
1: Yeah. The examples, the educational aspects are out there. And sometimes you just need to prime the pump a little bit with your clients. And raters, maybe perhaps the builders, their client, and builders, the consumers, their client. And I was looking through the list of speakers in last year's symposium, and Gene Myers talks a lot, Thrive Home Builders talks a lot about the educational aspect that he does with his team and with his consumers and bridging that gap of, of possibility with more information.
2: Absolutely. Yep.
1: How about a short pivot to multifamily versus single family? Is that something that's in your purview in this whole topic area?
2: I think the answer is yes, right? We need to continue. There's a Clearly, we're seeing growth in both sectors. One area where we've seen exponential growth over the last several years is the single-family build-for-rent market, which kind of shows that homeowners and renters are really wanting single-family homes. With that said, we need the density of multifamily, and we are seeing a continued growth in that segment as well. So I don't think it's an either-or proposition. And I think when we look at sustainable solutions, they're equally as important for both of those segments.
1: One more topic I want to tap is passive house. Where does that fit in the spectrum of your thinking here?
2: Yeah, I love passive house. I'm a huge fan and a huge believer Some of the passive house requirements are still like battery storage. For example, when you look at passive house rated windows, they are still fairly expensive if you're looking at just upfront cost. But again, I don't think that's a fair way to look at those and really assess the value. Because if you say, okay, those passive house rated windows are going to save me X amount in utility bills year over year, I'm going to get a payback in year three, and then anything over that is just gravy. I think that's how we need to start training ourselves to think. But yeah, I think passive house is a great methodology. And anything that helps provide a series of steps and instructions that help us get to a more sustainable built environment is a good thing. So,
1: Very good. I'm a data guy, so you just got me on this path here of asking all these questions about data. I'm going to ask one more, and I think we got to wrap it up and give the listeners back their ears. How about the cost of the utilities, of the utilities that we commonly experience in a home? Do you have any trend data on that? And what are your commentary on that?
2: So, we all know that energy prices right now, in particular, are soaring. We also know that utility costs can be very volatile and unpredictable, as we saw in Texas, when was it last winter? which was, I think, more of an anomaly. We basically have to do what Germany has effectively done, which is make every home and building its own mini microgrid, where it's harvesting and producing its own energy, it's utilizing it, it's storing it, and then it's communicating with the utility so that utility becomes basically an energy manager and a transfer agent of energy. So that helps to mitigate energy costs. On the water side, we are seeing exploding water tap fees that are actually killing developments because the water tap fees are so high that developers can't afford to actually build homes in certain areas. We're seeing like along the Front Range in Colorado, we've seen water tap fees explode by up to 400% in some areas. And I think We're going to see more on the water side with respect to full cost water utility fees, right? I think we're going to start seeing increases in those fees so that they're not quite as subsidized because right now our water is so subsidized, we basically pay nothing for it. But it's a precious resource and it's becoming more and more precious. We're also on the water side starting to see requirements for net zero water impact plans for builders and developers, And I actually think that water is going to go the way of energy with respect to like a rating. We have the WERS rating system. And so I think that there's actually an opportunity for energy raters to also become water raters. And I think we're going to see more and more requirements for that.
1: Yeah, there's actually a HERS H2O rating that's available now. Yes. A lot of development work behind that. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. hate to do it, but I think we got to wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) I just wrote down three more questions, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to put a little self-control. Anything you'd like to leave the listeners with here today, Sarah?
2: At the end of the day, we are, all of us, responsible for the shaping of our society. And we can choose to continue to prop up an obsolete status quo that perpetuates social and environmental and economic injustice, a state of normal that really never deserved to work. Or we can decide to replace our existing system with one that really promotes justice and equality and sustainability and abundance. And I think we're undergoing an endurance test. And it's really important more important than ever, perhaps, to really think boldly and creatively, because the next era in America and across the globe is unfolding before our very eyes. And what awaits us looks very different from anything that we've experienced before. There's no return to a normal before the pandemic. And what I like to say is like the caterpillar and the butterfly, the process of transformation is both cathartic and beautiful, but it's painful as well. And this metamorphosis will at times be confusing and painful, but it's inevitable and it's time. It's really time to reorder our world. It's time to embrace sustainability as a pathway to resilience, healing, renewal, and it's time to recraft our system in a way that facilitates social, economic, and environmental sustainability.
1: Well, that's a beautiful clothes. I'm not going to do anything else on my part <laughs> except say there are resources out there that Sarah has highlighted throughout the course of this podcast to help you think boldly and creatively. So, what's your next step, listeners? Thank you, Sarah, for coming aboard the Res Talk podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast, where we covered the state of sustainable building 2022 with Sarah Gutterman. If you have any questions about this topic or any other topics, please send an email to info at resnet.us. And you can also learn more about ResNet from a professional standpoint in the building market at resnet.us forward slash professional. Here's a quote for today by Joyce Meyer, who's an American author. Anytime we step boldly to make changes, we take a chance that we might fail, but the only way to get better is to try. If you've not subscribed yet, please consider doing so. And as always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care until next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet. The Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app, or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for Res Talk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on Res Talk.